Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. How long is your hair right now? Medium length. I'm going to say medium length. It's not short, but it's definitely not long. I keep mine short because it does really weird things when it starts getting long. Like I'm, I'm jealous of guys that can grow long hair because of being a, you know, a rock and roll guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I wanted to have that awesome, silky, long headbanging hair, you know? So I tried when I was like 23, probably to grow my hair out long. I just decided, you know, I don't remember what I was doing for work specifically at the time. I think I was probably delivering mattresses or something like that. Like it didn't matter. Like appearance didn't really matter. And I was more focused on, you know, being a rock star than I was on holding down a a day job. So I dyed it black and started growing it out because I'm, I'm a blonde. I don't know if you, if you knew that. So I dyed my hair uh, black and started growing it out. And I don't remember how long I tried, but at one point, a dad of the guitar player in the band that I was in at the time, he asked me, not even in like an an antagonizing way, he said, is that a wig? (laughs) No, that's fucking terrible. Well, I guess it's, it's time to cut my hair. Or maybe I should get a wig. You know, I, I have actually changed my opinion on trans women and specifically trans women in women's sports. What was your opinion before? Well, that we, they should stay out of it and go play with the males. Right. Because that's what is fair. But there was a story recently and... I didn't dig into it because I really don't care. And it's more of a joke than anything else. But there were, uh, I, I think, basketball teams. Women's basketball teams that competed against each other recently. One had three trans women and the other team had two trans women. And the joke was, guess which team won? Of course, it was the team that had two trans women on it. And I always got upset because, you know, you hear about people like uh, Leah Thomas, the swimmer that is, you know, like ranked 316th in the world or something in, in men's competition. But then she goes to women's competition and, you know, wins the gold medals or, or whatever, wins all the competitions. I don't think it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's allowed that they compete in the Olympic Games yet or it it may have already been decided that it's not allowed i don't think it is but i think the only way to combat this cultural push is for all the men that could stand it to transition to women join women's sports make a complete mockery out of it so that everyone goes okay you're right this this didn't work out i have no interest in competing in in sports myself so it's gonna have to go i'm also too old 
But get in there, college guys. Just bite the bullet, take one for the team. And put a wig on. You'll have that sweet, silky, long hair. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think uh, men might be the best thing that's ever happened to women's sports. Yeah, they're calling you know? uh, tremendous attention to it. I think That's it might I'm be saying. the. Uh, it's going to be actually interesting to watch. Imagine if all the men joined like women's basketball. We fucking dunk in. There'll be three pointers all over the place. Did you have you seen any of the videos uh, that propose Brittany Griner was actually a man? You know who? Brit- <laughs> you know who Brittany Griner is? So I I don't know about that. I mean, Brittany Griner pisses me off for other reasons. The fact that she was traded for the Merchant of Death. Right. That is something that is. Uh, well, I don't really think that was Brittany Griner's fault. I mean, it was Brittany Griner's fault in the sense that she took those Bro. marijuana cartridges, vaping cartridges over to Russia. With yeah, her. yeah, yeah. You know, to be fair, it's not Brittany Griner's fault that she was traded for someone that was infinitely more valuable to keep in prison than her. Um, I mean, definitely but, more uh, valuable to Putin than she was to Biden oh. or, or America. Bro, we should have fucking left her there. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Dude, like, it's nothing to do. Like, if, if, it, if it was me, if I went over to Russia and I did some dumb shit and ended up in jail, they would not give up anybody. Nope. They would not give up anybody. But Brittany Griner, a nice, diverse women's basketball person, <laughs> BIPOC queen, they fucking gave up the fucking merchant of death for that bitch. I want my merchant of death back. Yeah, and it's, it's so weird. That kind of stuff always boggles my mind because they say, or they will say, that the response kind of was, oh, you know, she's this diverse, you know, WNBA star, yeah. uh, you know, black lesbian, you know, checking I'm like, bro, all the woke boxes. How can you even say diverse and basketball? How does it even make its way into the press? Like, oh, like this insane uh, like one of the reasons i'm so excited for the show today yes is because there was this interview between tucker carlson and vladimir putin everybody who you know pays attention at all knows that this was going down right right of and course. the mainstream media even the conservative mainstream media hasn't covered it at all except to say what? oh it was it was a softball interview. Yeah, it was really a, a softball interview. Tucker Carlson showed up in Moscow this week to interview Vladimir Putin. It turned out to be anything but an interview. Putin droned on for two hours and seven minutes while Tucker sat there like an eager puppy. Occasionally, but rarely, he got in a question like this one about the power of the deep state in Washington. First of all, does it strike you? That he sat there like a puppy dog. <laughs> um, to be fair, I do agree that the interview was. Um, it was a bit softball. I'm not going to lie, Tucker. It is a little bit softball. And he did sit there like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is going to be so amazing for my career. The looks on his face, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I found myself watching this interview going. Is if I were the person sitting across from Tucker explaining my position to him while he had that look on his face, would I even be able to concentrate on the things that I was trying to say? 
<laughs> well, I think that the funny thing that struck me immediately is, is um, Putin understands English as well as he can speak English. So, right. <laughs> But but what so, is that? There's there's something behind that, right? Like, isn't it's like a KGB thing or something like that? Yeah, it's it's a it's a very old Soviet thing. So of course, whenever the whenever the Americans would talk to you know one of the Soviet leaders, they, it would always look like this, right? Um, and there's a, actually there's actually quite a funny story of I think it was Nikita Khrushchev uh, that was having a conversation with somebody, and you know someone said something in English and. They were translating and stuff like that. And then I think he just said something in English. Like later on he understood English the entire time. <laughs> like so they they do it they do it as a way to um I believe they do it as a way to uh put the English person on the back foot because Russian is such a complicated language compared to English and it really puts them apart and it breaks up the interview so it's it's more difficult for someone to throw in like a curveball question because usually like say we're talking you might interrupt me and say oh this and, that and the other but you have to understand what i'm saying in order to interrupt me you can't do that with this because he's having the russian translated to english in his in his ear well and so that's uh, that's yeah. what do you think about this conspiracy theory when sure the interviewee is speaking in russian that means that anybody that doesn't understand russian has to trust that the person doing the translation is doing an accurate translation and not a yeah. uh, a feathered translation that may suit a different agenda of course that would be easily debunkable if you knew anyone that spoke russian like i feel mm -hmm. like that with uh because my uncle spent uh, he actually he had long hair he was one of the reasons i think that i wanted to have long hair my uncle right. bob's long hair when when he was much younger he was a exchange student in germany and he you know he came back after that and you know finished up his high school and then moved back to Germany and and did this a few times as the, and as the immigration laws got more strict he actually married a german woman so that he could get his you know citizenship or or whatever his his work visa um and he he's back now but i uh, i always wanted to ask him to like just like watch this interview or or watch this speech that Hitler gave. Now tell me, is it are are the are the subtitles an accurate translation of what he said? Because who would be more misquoted than yeah. than Hitler? You know the the scourge of of the planet. Uh, but I don't know who to trust when it comes to things like this. I mean, certainly. I, I don't particularly believe that the interview was as softball as Chris Wallace and, and the left are trying to classify it. But let's hear let's hear his example. Sure. It sounds like you're describing a system that's not run by the people who are elected in your telling. He's talking about U.S. government. That's right. That's right. But more telling them what... And that's it. 
That's all we get. We get his two second response because that's how the left operates with their wow. quote unquote <laughs> journalism. Yeah. Tucker asked is what he didn't ask. Nothing about why Putin invaded a sovereign country. Nothing about targeting civilians. Nothing about Russian war crimes. A reporter can ask Putin a tough question if he wants a real interview. Why is it that so many of the people... So now he's cut to an interview that he did with Putin however long ago. People that oppose Vladimir Putin end up dead or close to it. And that's it. He didn't even put in Putin's response to that question, which I kind, of car- I kind of carved it up. He was asking, why, basically, why do your political opponents end up dead? And that's all we get. All we get is, I'm so cool because I asked Putin this, this tough question. I mean, not as if, it's not as if Tucker Carlson didn't push back at all. In the interview, I, you know, I have clips of it. We'll play plenty of clips. But why do you think the left can't report honestly on it? Why do you think they have to lie about it? I mean, I mean, that's what the left do, isn't it? So, you know, their job is to lie so that it, you know, satiates their listeners. Their listeners have a predetermined, predefined view of the situation already they've already made their minds up about Tucker carlson about vladimir putin you know they're not really interested in our opinion our opinion he's so, like the uh putin is like the enemy that we need so that we can keep you know whatever the military industrial complex churning along yeah exactly i mean what there's what, what they're not saying which I think is important to mention, which is, yes, this is a softball interview. And yes, I do believe that Tucker Carlson could have been much more aggressive in his questioning with Vladimir Putin. But I agree with that. Yourself, right? But I think there's... Go ahead. No, you just have to ask yourself, would he have even got this interview if he didn't give assurances that this was going to be a little bit of a softer interview? Well, and it's kind I of... I don't think so. It, it, it's kind of a rule of thumb. When you're conducting an interview, you have to let the guy speak. You have to yeah. let the interviewee speak. Because that's, I mean, otherwise, what, what motivation does the interviewee have to even be there? And, and this is kind of the culture of interviews from mainstream media has become, we're going to interview you, President Trump. And if you don't answer the questions in the way we want you to answer them, well, then we're going to filibuster and we're going to start clucking and we're going to start throwing these uh, fact checks in your face. These fact checks that have been done by liberal leftist fact checking organizations that are financed by George Soros for the sole purpose of making people believe that a lie is a fact. So I think these leftists like Chris Wallace, who actually used to work for Fox News, if I'm not mistaken. Not really. They've set this sort of stigma for interviews to be like, oh, y- you go to battle. You-, you hold a debate with the person that you're, that you're interviewing. Yeah. As I understand it, traditionally, that's not the way an interview is supposed to work. The, the, this, this adversarial sort of vibe that comes out of 
all the interviews between people that don't agree is a product of the mainstream media and just sort of the cultural media narrative that that dominates the news landscape. We yeah, can't sure. have we can't have a, a free and comfortable exchange of ideas in an interview or even in a conversation. It's we're going to uh, basically just tout our side's narrative, and if you don't agree with us in this interview, well, then we won't let you speak. And that's not how interviews are are supposed to go. But we no. got to. We got to keep going on this clip because the yep. guy, the guy that made that made the clip, very, very cl clever. He just starts it off with Chris Wallace. And then before you know it, you're in his little podcast analysis of it. And he's just uh, he is quite a piece of work. I'm, I'm excited for you to hear him. But apparently that's not why Tucker went to Moscow. During the Cold War, gullible Westerners who spread Soviet propaganda were dismissed as useful idiots. Like you, Chris but Wallace? Calling when you Tucker that Putin? is unfair to useful idiots. No, he's made a cynical decision to chase MAGA's affection for dictators. And what oh. better way to cash in than Putin's Kremlin? That, that is one what interesting thing. What are you talking thing. about? They didn't, they didn't talk about Donald Trump once during that interview. What the fuck is he talking about? I wonder if that was by design. I really, like, getting it at the heart of what you were talking about with, with, you know, Tucker giving assurances to Putin and the Putin regime that it, it would be, you know, whatever fair or, or softball or however you would like to, uh, to qualify it. But I would really love to see the correspondence back and forth. Were, were the questions shared? I'm, I'm sure the questions were shared ahead of time. Yeah. That's quite common for but any I, political interview. And I wonder what was denied, turned down. Like, no, you, you can't ask us questions about this. I don't want to ask questions about Donald Trump. And, and what were Tucker's terms? Do you think he had no terms? Do you think he was just like, please, God, let this happen and I'll do whatever you want? Um, I wouldn't imagine that. Obviously, Tucker wants to get some value out of it. Um, I think ultimately the best interviews have an interviewer that ask questions to get answers that people haven't heard before, because it's about the, it's about the listeners, it's about us. You know, what kind of information can we glean from this interview? Um, in terms of the actual content of the interview, for me, I mean, I know the subject fairly well, but for me, there wasn't that much stuff that I learned that I didn't really know before. Um, so that was... An interesting thing. It was more like a a sit down or fireside chat with Putin, which is fine. Um, but I do believe that Tucker would have. I do believe Tucker has has toned down some of his uh, interviewing so that he can make that happen, and that's perfectly fine. Um, you know what? I want to. Um, I know we talked about the production and and the yeah. things I was going to do before we got rolling here. Um, I want to play this and I'm going to share my screen with you. Yeah, sure. Because we need to discuss the body language because the, it, the, it gets into some things 
and I'm probably screwing up the order of the clips in the way that I wanted to play them by, by doing <laughs> this, good, unfortunately. But it's, uh, it's so... It, it, like the, the, the body language and the mannerisms and things like that, like these aren't the things that people are discussing. And they're really revealing. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest parts of communication. So this, uh, this is a longer segment because this, this clip also gets into some of the pushback and some of the sort of not softball elements of the interview that when I saw this, I thought how, so, so clearly the left is just lying again about being, about this being a, a softball interview. But here we go, we're picking it up kind of mid-conversation. It was those people who were made national heroes. That is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. Yes, they are seedlings, but we approve them. And other countries fight against them. But Ukraine is not the case. These people have been made into national heroes in Ukraine. Monuments to those people have been erected. They are displayed on flags. Their names are shouted by crowds that walk with torches, as it was in Nazi Germany. These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews and Russians. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so, but not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Would you be satisfied with the territory that you have now? I will finish answering the question. You just asked a question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, the president of Ukraine... So he deflects. This is just, just an interesting aspect that, that kind of permeated the, the whole interview. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't... He is asked about his motivations in Ukraine, but he doesn't really want to answer the question. He wants to talk about the Nazism, which is what gets him a lot of support from the West. Visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian Parliament introduced a man who, as the Speaker of the Parliament said, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles and Jews. Getting a little the more SS troops now. consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine stood up with the entire parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself, by the way, is a Jew by nationality. Really, my question is, what do you do about it? I mean, Hitler's been dead for 80 years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. And so, true. And so... 
I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism, but how? How do you do that? I mean, that's not super softball, right? Like, he says you want to control Ukrainian nationalism, and how do you do that? That doesn't strike me as a softball question. And there's more. There's more coming. The reason I carved this out, I mean, I, I rolled it back a whiz, but there's more pushback coming, and the body language is getting more intense now, a lot more leaning forward on, from, from both sides. Yeah, I still think it's pretty softball. Listen to me. Your question is very subtle, and I can tell you what I think. Do not take offense. Of course. This question appears to be subtle. It is quite pesky. You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years. But his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine, applauds him in the Canadian parliament, gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today? That is what the Nazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what denazification is. That is what we mean. Right. My question was a little more specific. It was, of course, not a defense of Nazis, neo or otherwise. It was a practical question. You don't control the entire country. You don't control Kiev. You don't seem like you want to. So how, how do you eliminate a culture or an ideology or feelings or a view of history in a country that you don't control? What do you do about that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, as strange as it may seem to you, during the negotiations at Istanbul, we did agree that we have it all in writing. Neo-Nazism would not be cultivated in Ukraine, including that it would be prohibited at the legislative level. Mr. Carson, we agreed on that. This, it turns out, can be done during the negotiation process. And there's nothing humiliating for Ukraine as a modern civilized state. Is any state allowed to promote Nazism? It is not, is it? That is it. Um, will there be talks, and why haven't there been talks, about resolving the conflict in Ukraine? Peace talks. They have been. They reached a very high stage of coordination of positions in a complex process. But still, they were almost finalized. But after we withdrew our troops from Kiev, as I have already said, the other side threw away all these agreements and obeyed the instructions of Western countries, European countries and the United States to fight Russia to the bitter end. Moreover, the president of Ukraine has legislated a ban on negotiating with Russia. He signed a decree forbidding everyone to negotiate with Russia. 
But how are we going to negotiate if he forbade himself and everyone to do this? We know that he is putting forward some ideas about this settlement. But in order to agree on something, we need to have a dialogue. Is that not right? Well, but you wouldn't be speaking to the Ukrainian president, you'd be speaking to the American president. When was the last time you spoke to Here Joe we go. Biden? I cannot remember when I talked to him. I do not remember. We can look it up. <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> no. Why? Do I have to remember everything? I have my own things to do. We have domestic political affairs. Well, he's funding the war that you're fighting, so I would think that would be memorable. <laughs> Softball? Yes, he funds, but I talked to him before the special military operation, of course. And I said to him then, by the way, I will not go into details, I never do, but I said to him then, I believe that you are making a huge mistake of historic proportions by supporting everything that is happening there in Ukraine by pushing Russia away. I told him, told him repeatedly, by the way. I think that would be correct if I stop here. What did he say? So, what are your thoughts on that so far? I mean, it's okay. It's fine. I, I'm, I'm enjoying. I mean, you know, I'm enjoying. It. I think, I think it's, I think it's a fine interview. But I do believe there's lots of fruit left on the table. You know, if if Putin wants to talk about the history and wants to talk about Hitler and wants to talk about Nazism, a great way to you know really follow that up for Tucker is like, well, you know, under Stalinist Russia, a similar amount of people died in gulags and in uh, genocidal camps. So, you know, you, you can't really have that argument. You know, Russia and Germany presided over the same period of time of oppression uh, themselves. <laughs> so I, I just put that to bed immediately, um, really. You know, if he wants to have a conversation about the Western world, you know, being, getting involved with Nazism and stuff like that, you know, ah, Russia, you don't have that great of a fucking history with uh, minorities, uh, your own people, your political constructs. These are all ways to, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say deconstruct what Putin's saying or, or, or put him down, but it does seem a little bit one-sided. You know, Putin is trying to tell us, tell me, that Ukraine is full of Nazis, we are supporting Nazism, and our governments are supporting Nazis as well. And I just... I, I, I just I just can't I just cannot sit here and let Putin say that. That is an outrageous fucking statement. I don't care how fucking corrupt you think our Western governments are, they are far from quote unquote Nazi supporters. If there were Nazi fucking supporters in our government or Nazi like, you know, a, a deep seated Nazi fucking religion in, in our government, someone would fucking know about that. Like that is serious. So I'm not gonna sit here and let him fucking say that shit but um you know i think the interviews i think the interview's great everyone should watch it everyone should listen to it but uh and i wasn't expecting it to be like a super slam dunk holy shit tucker carlson got some really interesting super juicy shit out of putin this is good and it's a good start i think more people should do more interviews of putin you know the more stuff that comes out the more we talk with uh people like vladimir putin the better um, this whole notion that we shouldn't talk to the other side, we shouldn't uh, converse in diplomacy, and we should completely cut Russia off from our communication lines is outrageous. I think we should have these conversations with, with Putin. And while I think this interview is a little bit soft, it's a soft start, that's fine. 
it's the first of many. I, I want it to be the first of many. I want to learn more. The whole problem with the Cold War is that both sides didn't know what the fucking other side was thinking. And when they installed that phone line between the White House and the Kremlin, that changed the whole situation. They could talk to each other. They could talk to each other and inform each other. Joe Biden, all these fucking Western nations now, like us, we're like, nah, we don't even want to talk to you. Why not? You might not like the guy, but you should fucking talk to him. He's the one that's aiming nuclear weapons at us. Um, and, and we are doing the same to them. So it's important that we have these conversations. I, you know, two years ago, on the topic of Nazis and support for Nazis, I would agree with you. But the way Western governments have been developing. So it's communism and fascism on opposite sides of the spectrum, right? In theory. Ideally, yeah, ideally. Communism's far left. You go far enough left, you get to communism. You go far enough right, you get to fascism. Right. Now, there's also these conspiracy theories about what happened to the Nazis when, when they were defeated. A lot of them fled to Argentina. Allegedly. There's even, Allegedly. There's even skepticism about whether or not Hitler's body was actually Hitler's body. And then there are things like Operation Paperclip, where the West took all of the finest Nazi scientists and divvied them up amongst themselves so that people like Werner von Braun could come to the United States, continue his rocket research, and found NASA. That's a fact. Yeah. And now here we are in 2024. I almost said 2023. <laughs> <laughs> and we see, I mean, getting back to Professor Umbridge from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. It is so alarming how tyrannical and authoritarian the West has become on the shoulders of COVID. Like, I, and I don't know, may, maybe COVID was deliberate and it was used to uh, unseat populist leaders and manipulate elections. Or maybe it was an accident. Yeah. Either way, the leaders in power and the leaders that have been recently elected are Professor Umbridge. Their doctrine, their political doctrine, is authoritarian tyranny. If you don't like it, if you try to protest a sketchy election, we're going to throw you and everyone who was around you and everyone that was within a quarter mile, we're going to throw them in prison and we're going to ruin their lives. And we're going to do this to send the message that you better not speak out against us. It, not that you better not protest. Because as we know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, they got to loot and riot and burn for almost all of 2020. And not only were they not held accountable, but when they sued, 
the city and the county and, and the local law enforcement that arrested them, they won their lawsuits and they were awarded with million dollar settlements. While people that protested at the Capitol on January 6th are rotting in solitary confinement, some of them without even having uh, seen a judge. They're still waiting to be arraigned. So I have a hard time today believing that the West doesn't support Nazis because the behavior that I'm seeing from the governments of the West seems very fascistic. It seems very fascistic, but well, it doesn't seem very fascistic. It seems very authoritarian and authoritarian is one thing, but being a fascist is another thing. Uh, You know, the, the Nazism was about the one true race. It was about almost the one true religion. It, it, it seems it's more like the Sharia law. It's more like the Crusades. You know, at the moment, if anything, a lot of our governments resemble more of a authoritarian socialist society than it does an authoritarian fascist society, because quite often the governments will say, "No, we should let everybody in." Well, wasn't that the Nazi party? Wasn't that the National Socialists? Wasn't that in there? Wasn't wasn't that in the the definition of of the Nazi party? Um, Yeah, socialist. uh, There was there was the National Socialist German Workers Party, something like that. So it was was, you know it was like the um, from uh, from Britannica. That's weird. Nazi party, political party of the mass movement known as National Socialism. Under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, the party came to power in Germany in 1933 and governed by totalitarian methods until 1945. Anti-Semitism was fundamental to the party's ideology and led to the Holocaust, the systematic state-sponsored killing of six million Jews and millions of others. But its it's main purpose was to draw people away from uh, communism, from free market big, big business um it was i mean that sounds a lot like what what, what the west is doing right now like we, i don't like know it, the west I, we don't really have business. to admire we, we don't have to get mired in 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 yeah. classifications and language yeah. that's what the left likes to do and i hate that i hate that shit whatever yeah, you want sure. whatever you want to call it to me it feels a lot like 1930s germany and i think a lot of our listeners and a lot of our non-listeners would agree that uh, somebody going on an imperial quest to conquer the world and exterminate a race of people, it, it doesn't feel like a, a far cry from what we're, we're seeing right now. No, it, we can both agree that our governments are centralizing power and are looking at ways of exuding their power onto us. That is something we can 100% agree on. Do you think there's another pandemic coming? No, I believe there's another war coming. I believe the war with Iran is the next one. Um, you think the war is going to be the next big distraction? Yeah, I mean, there's always, there's always got to be something. But the war with Iran seems almost inevitable at this point. And uh, if I had to put my money on like the next big thing, 
that, that's that's gotta be it. It's it's just it's just on the cusp because there's no real political. Um, you know, the political pull around Israel and Gaza is so polarizing in the moment, especially in the UK. Um, but one thing a lot of people are starting to agree on is that Iran is funding a lot of these terror cells. They're funding Hamas. They're funding all this stuff. And so um, it's a little bit of an easier pill to swallow than to say, OK, we're going to go we're going to go support Israel with weapons uh, or we're going to support Hamas. I mean, that's not really going to work. But Iran Iran is the real problem in the Middle East. And of course, the Western world, we have to solve all of everyone's fucking problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I do believe the next big thing that's going to happen is going to be Iran. I mean, if you look into it even skin deep, you realize that the Western leaders have got Iran in their sights. I think it's and they're, more... they're looking at any uh, opportunity to, to, to shoot at them. Yeah, I, I think it's more about Iran's development of their nuclear arsenal than it is about uh, what Iran's proxies are doing in, you know, Syria and Jordan and, and, and Israel, because well, the, go ahead. I mean, from my understanding, they're using that as a way to get you scared and a way to justify their actions within Iran. Well, there's their a lot to... of, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. You know how I love conspiracy theories Yeah, yeah about yeah, yeah. how, uh, this, this, Powerful security force, the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, uh, missed all the signals, and that that yeah. they had no indication that this this attack was coming. And people cry foul. They say, "No, they must have. They must have known." And it was Netanyahu. Netanyahu let it happen because he wants to have he he wanted to solidify his power. And you know, and and we went into this, but. Yeah. When the news comes that says uh, Iran will have a nuclear weapon in a week, it'll have 12 nukes in a month and, you know, maybe 16 in, in six months. I think it's 9-11. October 7th was the 9-11 of Europe. And the government of Israel allowed Hamas to attack them, <clears throat> to kill thousands of people, just like on 9-11. Because Iran is so close to developing a nuke that they must be stopped. And the only way to get Iran to stop is to provoke the West into intervening. And what better way than to yeah, for, for al sure. allow a horrible attack to happen on your soil, gain the, the support of, of the West, and here we are about to attack Iran. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely agree that Iran and Hamas's main um, angle is that they want to draw us into a larger conflict because that... Uh, solidifies their control over their own country you know for example we bombed like the leader of like hamas or not not hamas um of the houthi rebels or something one of their leaders we bombed in the middle of a, a city in broad daylight and um immediately all the public around there went death to america death to america um of course because they can't see the context 
They don't know why he was blown up. They don't even know who he was. They just see the drone and they shoot a rocket. And for the leaders in Iran, they're like fucking brilliant. <laughs> that's what we've been saying the whole time. Death to America. Yeah. And that solidifies their control over their party. Whether Iran can make well, or and, not and, make and nuclear I would, weapons I, is completely irrelevant. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but not only because I, I, I've gotten into this before with things like um, the, the killing of, of Soleimani, you know, Donald Trump's one of Donald Trump's crowning achievements. Yeah. Hit Soleimani with the with the missile. It doesn't only solidify like the, the governments, the, the borders, I mean, of the Middle East are, are they're just Western constructs. Yeah. Middle Eastern culture is that the boundaries are the boundaries. It's more they're more cultural boundaries than they are actual geographical boundaries. So it's not just solidifying. And I'm not trying to correct you. I'm more just trying to add to what you were saying. It solidifies the support yeah, of course. from the citizens of, our, of Iran, but not just yeah. Iran. The nations surrounding, you know, the, the oh, Islamic agree. nations like I agree. Th I think this is. One of the the aims of the the Ayatollah of Iran, is that right? Is that what you call him? An Ayatollah? I can't I can't remember. But, you know, Saudi Arabia, they're they're joining the BRICS. They're getting closer yeah. to China. Just never a good thing. Like, you know, even though even though, the, you know, the BRICS is only as powerful as the people that are in it. And Saudi Arabia is a serious player. <laughs> I mean, we, well, see, we know player. we know how uh, China feels about the West. We know how the Middle East feels about the West, largely. Right. How do you think Putin feels about the West? Does he align with Iran and China? Um, I wouldn't say so. Um, I wouldn't say so. Um, because. Iran is is um, far too fundamental as a society. Um, you know, obviously they they work with them as a strategic partner, but you know their ambitions are not. Would you say that's more of a out of a necessity than than out of a choice? They're a trading partner in a similar way that you know us as the UK trades with France, but we don't see eye to eye on everything. We you know we we, well, we don't see. And and with all what I mean, what I'm getting at is with with all the sanctions from the West. Yeah. Who are they going to trade with if they're not going to trade with Iran and, and the other countries that are hostile to the West and Western yeah, of values? Course. Of course. And, and China is um, a country that is so complicated and so difficult to work with that, I, that Putin probably sees them as a, as a strategic partner in, in Asia. Obviously, as a large trading partner. Um, but, you know, they've never gone out of their way to build an oil pipeline into China. They've never gone out of their way to do anything really serious with China. Russia, even though they... Uh, Russia, by, by their own volition, and I do believe that Putin wants a, a decent relationship with Europe, because Europe is one of, la one of Russia's largest trading partners, if, if not the largest, and they trade great uh, de deal with Americans. And Russia has done a lot better since they opened up since 1991. So I do think that Putin wants a better relationship with Europe and America, but he also wants to achieve his strategic imperialistic goals, which is acquiring more land. So he has to balance it all. It's not, it's not like a, a binary thing. I think he wants to do loads of things, uh, you know, all at once. But his country, 
shares a lot more values with European values, obviously, as well as American values than it does with China. China is a fully communistic society. It's a very, very, very corrupt, a very complicated, very basic economy too. Iran is a religious fundamental society run by religious fundamentalists. Um, these are not countries that share any sort of um, real traits with Russia that is a very ancient, old country that has lots of Europeans in it, that produce and consume a lot of Western goods, that are very, very uh, established. Compared to China, you know, the, the amount of like, you know, in uh, third tier businesses in Russia, like big, big businesses in Russia that do, you know, services and stuff like that is, is huge compared to China, which is a manufacturing company, uh, a country. So, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I think you had it it's right tough. the first time. <laughs> yeah. China is a manufacturing company. It really is, though, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. You know, CEO is Xi Jinping, and, you know, yeah. I mean, that's really why I tend to classify what's happening to the West as fascism, because so many countries are becoming companies, you know, huge conglomerate companies that are controlled by mega banks. And, you know, Wall Street hedge funds, for example. But Putin spent the whole first half hour, and this, this was really interesting. I, I have to know what you thought about the 30-minute, the first 30-minute history lesson that, that Putin gave. What, what, what was the, the motivation there, do you think? Um... <laughs> I mean, because what, dude, he doesn't, doesn't he go back to like 680, that like the year 680 to talk about the, uh, the royal families that, you know, converted to what's now like Russian Orthodox Christianity and, and how that was all established. Like why go so in depth? Well, he's going so in depth to show the listener that he knows what he's talking about. He's trying to give this impression that he has invaded Ukraine because Ukraine is historically, you know, Russian land and Russian people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's play that clip. Yeah. After the World War II, Ukraine received, in addition to the lands that had belonged to Poland before the war, part of the lands that had previously belonged to Hungary and Romania. So Romania and Hungary had some of their lands in a way and given to the Soviet Ukraine, and they still remain part of Ukraine. So in this sense, we have every reason to affirm that Ukraine is an artificial state that was shaped at Stalin's will. And then they, they cut it off there because, as I mentioned, you know, the, the, uh, the narrative coming out of the left is that this was a softball interview. The very next thing that Tucker asks Putin is if he'd called Viktor Orban of Hungary to offer him the parts of Ukraine that traditionally used to belong to Hungary, which of course kind of catches Putin off guard and makes him sort of reset himself. And he even like seems, in, in my opinion, he seemed to kind of acknowledge that 
he was making a weak argument for his acquisition of this Ukrainian territory. Was, was that your assessment? Yeah. Because he goes into his response as kind of, you know, he lets out an exasperated sigh, like, oh, yes, you know, he, I haven't spoken to him. He probably, oh, I don't know if Hungary has claim to that territory, but Vladimir, may I call you Vladimir? <laughs> Your argument is that Ukraine isn't even a real country, so I can help myself to these lands. Why, why can't Poland do that? Why can't Hungary also do that? And why aren't they? Why, why, what, what about Mexico? If, could, could Mexico just reclaim the, the territory of, of Texas that once belonged to, and it wasn't just Texas, it was a gigantic piece of land, a gigantic piece of what is now America. Like, who is he, who is he making that argument to? Him, himself? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of justification to himself that happens. I mean, that's the whole, the whole deal around the Ukrainian war. I think it's something that happened and then they had to justify it to their own people in, a, in some sort of way. You know, why are we bombing our brothers and sisters by their own, by their own volition? They are bombing their own people. If they say that, you know, Ukraine is ours and there's loads of Russians there, then you know, you're bombing your own people. How are you selling that? So this is a sales pitch for Putin. Right. I mean, well, and, uh, so just, I mean, you're right about the sales pitch. And I'm just thinking, because we've discussed before how the support of the Russian people is critical to Putin and, and his war on Ukraine. So I, I think it was Quebec that was an American colony around the time of American colonies. And when it came time for the, for the revolution, Quebec said, nah, we don't want to, you know, we're, we're going to stay loyal or, or we're going to, to whatever. And maybe this is a poor comparison, but if America was like, you know, Quebec used to be part of uh, America, we're going to go take it back. Canada. Would the, I, I don't believe that any of the West or, or even many Americans would say, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. We fully support going to war against Canada so that we can reclaim Quebec, which is traditionally uh, a, an American territory. Is that what Putin expects from Russians? I'm not sure. I mean, there's a, there's a um, saying in Russia now that Russia has no borders. Oh, that's big. Um, that, I think that's on a few billboards around, around Russia. And that's one of Putin's real advertisements, that Russia has no borders. You know, these, these are big imperialistic goals. I think the biggest difference between us and Russia is at least Russia wears their imperialistic uh, on their lapel. You know, they, they, they put it on their coat saying, you know, we want to conquer. Um, this. Whereas America would say, no, of course we're not imperialistic, but then would do a proxy war somewhere to exert their power over another country. Well, and so, it has been, it has been reported, has it not, that Vladimir Putin wants to 
reestablish the Soviet Union in so many words. Yeah, I think, I think that's people's assessment of it. Um, I think if Vladimir Putin had his way, he would conquer the entire Earth. You know, if no one, if no one stood in his way, you know, he would probably, he'd probably say, look, I'll, I'll do this for, I'll do this for Russia. I'll conquer the, the entire Earth for you guys. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the dude. Another clip that was shockingly absent from any of the mainstream media reporting on it, which I don't have, but I'm just remembering, is when Tucker asks Putin about joining NATO and about how, and, and, and Putin's response is, I asked President Clinton in you know, 1991 or 93 or whenever it happened to be. What NATO's response to a Russian membership would be. And Putin explains that Clinton said, oh, well, I think I think, yes, I think that would be uh, a good idea. <laughs> and. Then comes back to the table a week later, or a few days later and says, uh, no, no, you can't you can't join NATO. And then Putin class, uh, you know, qualifies this by saying, uh, you know, because America wanted to be the biggest voice at the table and uh, wouldn't have uh, another strong country with opposing views, wouldn't, wouldn't want them to be a part of NATO. What went through your mind when you heard that? Well, I, 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 can, I can sort of understand it because NATO was set up. Um, I mean, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Like, Russia doesn't touch the Atlantic anywhere. But No, the, no. And it was kind of set up as a consortium to say if Russia did something, then... Against communism, right? Yeah, so I can kind of understand why Russia didn't get the invite to the party. Um, it is something that's specifically set up to counter them if they did something. Uh, so, you know, it's set up during the Cold War. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Do you it's even like, believe, do you even believe that Putin said he wanted to join NATO? That's where I get stuck. Fucking hell. I, I, I can't speak to that. I can't speak to that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they, they've joined everything else. And this you know, was, I mean, UN and, like 30 years ago now. Yeah. When this, this is, happened. you know, yeah, to be fair, this is, a, this is in very different times. This is after the Cold War. This is after the Berlin Wall fell. This is after all this shit. We were on much better terms. So maybe it was like, oh, you know, Russia's different now. Russia's new. You know, Vladimir Putin's coming. He's got rid of all the corruption. And I think probably the most softball part of the interview, like where, where I would most willingly agree with the assessment that it was softball is that we didn't get any real answers about why the invasion of Ukraine. We got a, a 30 minute history lesson on how Ukraine isn't really Ukraine. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of it. And you heard in the clips when Tucker tried to push into that question, he just said, Oh no, let's, 
I want to talk more about Nazis. I want to talk more about the Nazis in Ukraine because that's why I'm really there. That's the reason. That's the reason I went into Ukraine was, was just to get rid of the Nazis and stop. I mean, there was, there was discussion about the, the 2014 coup, you know, the, the, the Maidan coup that was, yeah. he, 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 and he, he calls it the, um, the war the CIA started. He also blames the CIA for uh, the, the Nord Stream pipeline. And that, that was kind of, I mean, we need to move on, but that was kind of an interesting aspect yeah. of the interview as well. Tucker asks, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? And Putin says, oh, it was you, Tucker. Now, a lot of people are, are claiming in their analysis that he thinks that that was a joke. But what he was really saying is it was the CIA because at, at an, another point in the interview, uh, Putin calls attention to the fact that Tucker Carlson did have aspirations of being in the CIA himself, which, I mean, could be interpreted as a massive blow to his credibility because of what we know about how integrated intelligence is into i mean i'm talking about military intelligence government intelligence yeah yeah, yeah. mi6 cia etc how uh integrated they are into establishment media but nobody well, is I... nobody is ta really talking about that i've i've heard it from one other source mostly it's been oh putin was just joking in a way to say that he didn't know and Tucker asks him, do you have evidence it was the CIA that blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? And he goes, no, not really. He, you know, filibusters and then moves on. I don't think it becomes a softball interview because the interviewer lets the interviewee dictate the, the course of the conversation. Uh, I disagree. Go into that. I, I disagree. Um, having your interviewee, like, kind of just, like, um, run over you and do a 30-minute history lesson on Russia, like, that is... Clearly, he wasn't is, prepared for that, right? Clearly, Tucker dude, wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, it, it is so useless information. You could just Google this information. It, it only serves Putin's end goals, which is to justify his position on invading ukraine and, that, and that's fine but you can do that in three minutes and but say don't hey you look think, google this shit or something don't you think putin could have a stronger position than oh historically ukraine i mean that that argument was dismantled in two seconds by tucker carlson when he asked him about victor orban the president of hungary did you tell did you tell victor orban he could have uh his his hungarian his traditionally hungarian land back from from ukraine because this was another thing that putin goes into ukraine is uh historically russians and hungarians and it, it i mean i just feel like his argument that ukraine wasn't historically a country russia wasn't historically a country he made that point in the beginning of his interview when russia was established a thousand years ago <laughs> so how does he make how can he not make a stronger argument for his invasion of Ukraine 
It's a good. It's a good point. Uh, it, it's a good point. I mean, the only the only reason I can think of that he can't do it is either he can't think of a reason to do it, or um, anyone that talks about this issue is being coached by their internal PR to not give an exact critical idea of something uh, for fear that it comes back on them. Sometimes a great way that politicians can fuck you over is they stay so vague on a subject that it's kind of impossible to um, uh, pick it apart. Uh, you know, we'll see you later with the Rishi Sunak thing. Or, or call, call back. Or call back on it. It's call like, call you back know, to, you said this, and then they go, yeah. and, and this is a huge thing in, in the corporate world, too. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, I, I didn't say that. I, I said this. Like, I, I was thinking, um, because this, <laughs> I think about this every night uh, when I'm laying in bed uh, holding my phone, and I lay it down on my chest. And then I remember some conspiracy theorists saying, oh, these these terrible devices are putting off all kinds of radiation and you should never carry it in your pocket and you should never lay it on your body <laughs> or anything like that. And I find myself thinking, oh, shit, get get that. Don't don't lay that on your chest. It's going to be you're going to have a heart attack if you do that. And so I just think about any r- related court case like, oh, somebody's getting sued because they found that they got leg cancer from having their iPhone in their pocket for years and years and years. And, and, and what's the company's response going to be to that? Well, we never intended, we never intended for people to hold the phone up close to their body. So we should be held blameless for this un- unfortunate, tragic event that occurred with now all of these people have cancer in their brain. We didn't intend, Your Honor, we didn't intend for people to hold this device up next to their face uh, for hours and hours on end. We never intended. We never intended for this to happen. There was never, I mean, it's, it's the whole basis of like terms of service, right? All of this legalese, paragraphs and paragraphs that nobody's going to read so that when something bad happens, the company can say, oh, we, we never intended. We never intended for that to happen. We didn't know we didn't know the covid vaccines were going to give people myocarditis. Oh, but by the way, all the all the results of the trials, all, all, all the, the research papers and, and, and why, why can't I think of the studies, the clinical studies and trials that we did about these these covid vic- we we need to keep all of that secret for 75 years. Remember that? Did, did that make its way into the, the, the media zeitgeist in the UK that the FDA uh, in in coordination with. Uh, Pfizer and probably Moderna tried to bury the results of all of their clinical trials on the COVID vaccines for 75 years. Not on the FDA, but the way in which they approved the vaccines and also the medical data around that was super hard to get a hold of. For a good, I mean, like deliberately. Yeah. In 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 my assessment, it yeah. was it was deliberate. Yeah. And now we're seeing a little bit of I mean, I don't know if you would call it justice. I I wish you could call it justice. It's definitely not justice. It's um comeuppance, accountability, or at least the demand for accountability. Like I, I couldn't believe, so you sent me this clip 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I knew nothing about it. And then yesterday, I see it popping up in my news feeds. But I'm busy. I'm at work. You know, whatever. I, I, I don't have time to of watch, watch an eight-minute video at that moment. Yep. When I fired it off, I could not believe what I was hearing on, main, <laughs> on mainstream media in the UK. Yeah. Here we go. Does not know the questions that are going to be asked tonight, and most importantly, neither does the Prime Minister. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly worried by this. The look, look of this? fear in your no. eyes, Prime Minister. I, I, I just thought it not might con- be... Not Conservative Party no, raffle. No, no, so no, no. What I just thought, because uh, we've got so much to get through, very delve your hand in here. We've got some questions, right. more questions. They've got um, a box. And if you just... Oh, you can't read them first. No, no. Get your hand in. <laughs> well, you know what, actually? So I'm, I'm very happy to do that. I don't know how much right. time we've got left. I am genuinely surprised we've not had any questions about oh, the economy, the cost of living. S- right, so that, I'm just genuinely puzzled by all right, here we go. So that well, would be the first time might, I've ever done one, one of these where that hasn't come up. It will, and I, come on, I, I, I can't imagine all of you are really happy about the tax you're paying and don't want to complain. Well, this, so this, I, mean, I just have to say my impressions first off are here we go. Adversarial media and and filibustering politician. He's like, first of all, he's looking in there like something's going to bite me. I'm going to be the butt of a joke if I put my hand in this box that's loaded up with all of these questions from from the people around me. And right. then the, the host from GB News says, uh, is, is like, no, come on, come on, in you go, in you, get, get, get your hand in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, and then he's the like. Way, um, if you look at the way the people are arranged around him, it's so unconventional for like a town hall meeting. You know, they're arranged in a U shape around the presenters in the middle. And that. Yeah, he's speaker, got his back I, I do, to the camera. Right. So, so that is quite disconcerting, really, as a speaker. Like, I've done a lot of speaking on stuff like AI and that for the public. And they're always right in front of me. And that's really easy to do because you've got whatever you want to show behind you. And everyone, you can speak to everyone you want all in one go. But if they're arranging a you around you like that, dude, it, it, makes, you, it makes you feel like you're surrounded. It definitely puts you on the back foot. And... um I knew as soon as I saw those people, I was like, this guy's fucked. And there's (laughs) a lot of, of just as an aside, before we continue, there's a lot of studying that has been done on, on the psychological manipulation of people in that manner. That's like why when you go to, uh, you know, stand before a judge, the judge is on the elevated platform above you sort of, Peering over yeah. the end of his pulpit down upon the lowly, you know, I'm sure a similar amount of psychological analysis has been devoted to finding out how a speaker reacts to, you know, being in sort of a theater in the round setup versus the more traditional, you know, speaking from the pulpit to the crowd, which is also, yeah. interestingly, another uh, environment where the speaker is elevated above and, and, and a lot of this is uh, historically so that the sound can carry you know if, if you're standing on the ground speaking to a crowd that's also on the ground the sound is dispersed amongst the first few rows of people if you yeah that makes sense elevate yourself above and this has all kind of been done away with 
now that we have, you know, PA systems and that, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting to your point that they have him in this situation where he's got to have his back to the camera to speak to the audience and what yeah. sort of like, it makes me wonder what sort of psychological uh, implications that has not only for Rishi Sunak, prime minister of, uh, of the UK, but also to the people in the audience. And yeah. most importantly, I would argue the people that are watching on TV. Oh, he's got, exactly. his, he's got that cunt's got his back turned to us. What is that? Yeah, Why are we going to believe? And, and they may not even know that these feel like these could be clearly subconscious feelings. Well, sorry to interrupt, but we created so much content this week that our hosting service would not allow us to upload it all at once. So please continue to part two and we'll see you there.